I had had in 2019, I was like talking to a client and this is a person who's like a senior official at one of the biggest transportation agencies in the country. And I was kind of mouthing off about like vaccines definitely work and like, give me two of them. <laughs> and she, she was like, I actually ended up in the hospital for six months after a flu shot. And I was like, what? I had never talked to anyone or like knew anyone who'd been vaccine injured before. And she got Guillain-Barre syndrome, like it attacked her nerves and it was really bad. Um, and I, I, I like listened to her story and was like, this is horrible. Like, did you sue them? And she's like, well, you actually can't sue them because they have immunity. And I was like, oh my God, like we can't build a bridge and have immunity. Like as a company, like if you're a private company, you can't just have like litigious immunity. That doesn't make any sense. Oh man. Okay. Here we are. We are back. This is my new project. Um, this is a new podcast. I decided to actually split my podcast, keep the fuck it diet separate, an archive that's dedicated to healing your relationship with food and embark on this new project, which is a big question mark. It is a huge question mark for me. Um, but if I kind of twiddle my thumbs and drag my heels trying to figure out exactly what it is for any longer, it's just, I'm just never going to do anything. So I just have to start with the idea that I currently have and, um, and go from there. So this, this podcast is currently called Problematic. That's because that's the name of my Substack and it's being published through my Substack. So my current plan is that the podcast will be free. Episodes like this will be free, just like a regular podcast. Um, and then there will be bonus content. Like even with this episode, I'm planning on actually taking some of the parts that I had to cut just for length um, and conciseness and, and clarity and putting it behind a paywall. Um, I'm going to do a second episode with Adrian, who is the person that I'm talking to today. Um, you may know her as Capitalism and Glitter on Instagram. Um, but um, I, I, I'm going to do another episode with her because there's so much I wanted to talk to her about on this episode and in this conversation that I had with her, but we really only scratched the surface. We just kind of told her story, how she kind of came to begin to believe some of the things that she believes about the world and the government and, and health and the healthcare system. Um, and it's great. I'm really excited for you to listen to it. I'm also very scared because I know, I know there will be people maybe even already who are like, okay, this is where I draw the line. This is where you lose me. And it's another reason why I've been dragging my heels. I, um, I've, I've written about this a good amount on Substack. Um, but these past two years have been really, really disorienting. Not just as a, like, even if I wasn't a writer, I would have found it really disoriented. Like even if I didn't have a public platform and I wasn't an author and I wasn't writing my second book while all of this started to go down, I still would have found these past two years um, and and my worldview shifting so much and, and not really understanding what's what and what's true and um, I would have found it incredibly disorienting 
all by itself. Um, but I also happened to uh, have a platform um, and I really didn't know what to do. Like I didn't know what to share. I didn't know how long to not say anything about what I was thinking and what I was feeling. Um, I knew that the fallout would be people really like feeling very strongly that I am a terrible person who's lost my mind and blah, 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 blah. Uh, so it's been very weird and very confusing and I still don't fully know what to make of it. And I still don't fully know where I'm going from here. And, uh, so in that way, it remains problematic. <laughs> and so I'm keeping the title for now. Honestly, this morning I was writing my morning pages because I'm trying to redo the artist's way. And I wrote, maybe I should change my Substack title and podcast title too. Caroline doesn't know. Meaning, these are the things that I'm thinking right now. These are the things that I'm learning about right now. These are the things I'm wondering about right now. These, this has been my experience. This is a question I have right now. This is um, something I'm confused about right now. This is something I'm struggling with right now. But I don't know. I have no conclusions for you. I only have questions. And I only have experiences. And in regards to this podcast and what I'm hoping it can be... Um, focused on is other people's experiences. I would love to talk to other people. I'm being kind of vague about everything right now, but I I guess the way to sum things up is that I became politically homeless. I kind of abandoned this um, acceptable narrative of what I was supposed to believe in order to be a good person. Like that's kind of like the liberal belief. Like if you, if you aren't with us, you're against us. I started seeing a lot of hypocrisy. I started, uh, just really thinking things were, were really not right. Um, and so I'm questioning everything and I have been, and I haven't landed. I haven't landed. I, I, um, I have a different worldview, but that doesn't mean that I feel like, oh, well I was totally wrong and now I'm totally right. It's like, okay, I was, I was wrong and I was kind of brainwashed, but now I'm trying to figure it out. Um, And that's where I am. And so I want to talk to other people who feel similarly. And I may not agree with them 100%. I may not even agree with them 50%, but um, it's going to be along the lines of people who kind of, I would say that my guess is that, that the majority of the people that I'm going to want to talk to in the beginning will be people who were like me and just kind of like liberal and just assumed that that was the only way and the best way and um, who had a crazy experience in 2020 and 2021 and up until today. And, you know, I think everyone has an interest, everyone kind of had a different way that they um, untangled from their very tightly held beliefs. And so I think it's fascinating. I hope you um, find it fascinating. I hope you relate to it on some level. It will certainly be um, labeled problematic in the in the eyes of a lot of people. And so it's just the way it is. Like I, you know, I can drag my heels forever and I can tiptoe and I can 
can try to avoid it. I could try to change careers. I'm not, I haven't written it off, but I, um, I feel like at this point it's worth just starting. So I'm just going to start, but I need to warn you, unfortunately, we had some audio troubles. Adrian lives in a remote, bad internet access area, so she kept going in and out. And there are times when I left in when she was going in and out because you could understand what she was saying. And there are times when she cut out so badly that I had to cut the entire part out. I was doing a lot of asking her to start over. I cut all of that out so it was a little bit more seamless, but... There was one part where she was beginning to go into the science of something very important and um, or some of the science at least and it kept cutting out. It just wouldn't work. So I've actually cut that part out and put it behind the paywall. You can actually hear the back and forth of like, oh, can you try that again? Oh, you keep cutting out. Oh my gosh. Um, But anyway, I think that you'll still be able to understand what I did leave in. Um, and there are times when the audio is fine, but I just wanted to warn you, I'm sorry. We're going to record again, um, in the future with an ethernet cable for her. So she doesn't have to be connecting to the Wi-Fi. Um, but yeah, enjoy. And I'll be back to bother you again before this uh, episode is over. Um, I, I coaxed Adrian. Well, I didn't really have to coax you on, but, um, this is your first podcast. Yes. And this is my first episode where I'm really going to, um, piss some people off, not on purpose. I never do it on purpose, but I just feel like you're the perfect person to talk to about some of this controversial stuff that we're going to get into. Um, and I think it's going to be I think it's going to be fun for people to listen to in, you know, some people who don't get angry. <laughs> yeah. I'm the, uh, I'm the perfect person to accidentally piss people off. <laughs> Science back. <laughs> so will you start by telling us, I mean, I'm sure your story could be five hours long, but any version of your story that led you to the perspective that you have right now on uh, health and science and government and, and everything else? Yeah. So I have struggled with chronic illness pretty much my whole life. Um, it's never been properly diagnosed even today, like half of my stuff is not properly diagnosed. So as a kid, I had some like major health challenges. Like when I was seven, we can talk about the details of that. Um, that I figured out more recently. And then again, like I got mono in high school, it was not diagnosed. Um, and I like missed several years of high school. I graduated high school in a wheelchair. Um, I couldn't like, no one could figure out what was wrong with me. All these doctors, all these tests. Um, I got diagnosed with depression. It was not depression. Um, but I ended up studying psychology, um, trying to figure out like, what is the actual underlying physical or chemical like basis for like, what has gone on with my health? Um, because of course, you know, growing up as a young woman, young girl in the nineties and my parents divorced and there was some psychological stuff going on too, but that's, that's not why you like 
can't get out of bed and like all of a sudden lose a bunch of weight and like, you know, have chronic sore throats and chronic strep infections and like ulcers. And like, there's just, there's so much else going on. So right. I studied psychology and sociology. Um, <clears throat> and I really wanted to go into psychological research because after getting my bachelor's degree, I realized like I've spent four years studying this and I still don't know like any of the root causes of any of these conditions. And there was some talk of like, well, there are some genetic markers, but not always. And like, um, of course trauma is a factor, but it it's hit or miss with people, whether that really turns into like a, a disabling diagnosis. So in looking into like furthering my education and doing more psychological research, I would have gone on to get a PhD because that's where you do the research. So it would have been a master's and a PhD. And all the programs I looked at were basically funded by pharmaceutical companies and studying pharmaceuticals. Mm. And is not the root cause that doesn't, that doesn't teach me anything about like what's actually happening in the brain. And even back then, that was like extremely clear to you. Yeah. And I had through all my health challenges, I'd spent a lot of time in the medical system, seeing tons of different doctors. And I also tried some sort of alternative therapies like acupuncture. I had a really horrible reaction to acupuncture the first time I did it when I was 16. Oh, wow. So I basically didn't trust Western doctors and I didn't trust holistic doctors. And I was like, I'm going to figure it out on my own. And then I was like, well, I'm not going to figure it out just by studying pharmaceuticals. So I kind of gave up on the whole thing um, and ended up going to work doing um, strategic planning and funding for public transportation projects. Um, My parents worked in the government in San Francisco. And so Um, when I graduated, the economy was terrible. It was 2007. Um, and so I started just like temping for this woman at a consulting firm. Um, and then I basically built a career around it for 12 years. I worked both directly for the government and for consulting firms that were hired by the government. I worked for small consulting firms and I worked for like major multinational firms that did way more than public transit, like energy and water and all that stuff. Um, And so I worked mostly in the strategic planning and funding sector around multi-million and billion dollar projects. Um, And I worked directly like with politicians and with the public, basically trying to use data on like public health and public transportation patterns to basically justify the investment of billions of dollars into various transportation projects. Wow. Wow. Fascinating. And so I was sort of a, there were a lot like in 2019, 2020. um, So I had my daughter in 2018 and that was kind of the peak of my career. And then in like 2019, 2020, I was like balancing having a, a baby and being this like businesswoman. Like I'd bring her to public meetings. She'd be like strapped to my chest and I'd be like, pointing at boards with maps, explaining to the (laughs) like what projects were going on and like why they were important and why they should support them and why they should vote for things. Um, And then in 2020, when the everything, you know, the pandemic hit, we 
so our office shut down on Friday, March 13th. And within a week I had COVID. Wow. And Um, you were in San Francisco. Yeah. I was in the Bay area at the time. Yeah. So, um, I remember being on like, everybody was getting set up on zoom. Everyone was like showing off their home offices and like trying to figure out like how we operate from home while having, you know, kids running around and like, it was totally crazy. Um, yeah. So I went from like being kind of this like high powered businesswoman. Like I was often in these meeting rooms where I was by far the youngest, the only woman. Um, and they would, you know, I was, that's why I was so good at being at the public meetings because I was more relatable to the people than like an old dude in a suit. Right. Um, I mean, I was wearing a suit, but I was also wearing sneakers. So I like looked cooler, (laughs) but yeah, so everything shut down. Um, our, I remember our office shut down on a Friday within a week I had COVID. I was out for a week and a half. It was the craziest time on all my projects because everyone was trying to pivot. Um, right. So after I had COVID, I went back to work, but I really probably shouldn't have for about six weeks. I was trying to just like get better and like keep doing my job. And I'd be like laying in bed, doing zoom calls with the video off because I didn't want them to know like how Mm. sick I still was. Um, and then I just totally hit a wall and like ended up in the ER and all this, all this crazy stuff. So that's kind of my, the beginning of my story, I guess. Right. Right. And you know, it's funny. I get a lot of times some of the accusations against me now is like, she's a COVID denier. It's like, no, I'm fucking not you know, like there's this assumption that if I'm going to criticize anything that went down, that all of a sudden I am denying that COVID even existed or that it affected people at all. You know, I find that such a bizarre accusation. Like I've gotten a little bit of that and it's like, I'm, I'm the first person, a lot of people knew who had COVID. Like it was such a crazy thing with my family and friends all just being like, Oh my God, do you really have it? Um, when I went to the ER with it to get fluids and get a chest x-ray. They didn't even have COVID tests the first time I went to the ER (laughs) and they told me to come back in two days. And then I took the test and the test was negative. And then my doctor said, I still think you have it. These tests seem to be negative for women. And I was like, well, that's the thing. Like, did they ever really perfect them? Because I feel like I was always hearing about a ton of false negatives and a ton of false positives. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think now that I know what I know about the PCR test and Mm -hmm. Carrie Mullis invented it, like it was not designed to detect that it it was not designed to be diagnostic in that way. Um, he even said it can't be. So I don't trust any of the tests. Nope. So, okay. So you had COVID and it like, knocked you, um, knocked you on your ass. So it, it like really affected you. And then what was the next step? Like, what was your perspective, I guess, on at at that point when you got COVID, what was your perspective on health and how did, did that change your perspective or was it something else? It was that, I mean, I'd spent like probably 15 years still having like some chronic health issues and just kind of ignoring them because I just didn't trust anyone in either the Western or the holistic worlds to understand or properly diagnose or treat what was going on with me. Mm. 
So, but once I like lost my ability to work, I couldn't pick up my daughter. She was like 18 months old and I like couldn't care for my child. I was like, okay, I have to just, I have to figure this out. Um, and so I kind of, I just started researching everything I could. I finally started getting a couple diagnoses, like Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is a connective tissue disorder, which is genetic. Um, my heart issue, which I've had forever, um, is POTS, which is postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, I developed mast cell activation syndrome, which is one of the worst things you can develop in like such a severe way. Like I had rashes all over my body. I immediately became allergic to like all but like six foods. Oh. Uh, yeah. And all these doctors were saying, well, you just can't eat those foods anymore. And I'm like, this doesn't make any sense that I would be allergic to these things all of a sudden. What really tripped me out is my daughter also had COVID. She was 18 months old and she started, she developed the rashes as well. And she started developing symptoms that I knew were symptoms of autism, like light and sound sensitivity. Mm -hmm. And I also had light and sound sensitivity. I had to wear sunglasses inside because it was so bright. And I was like this, I asked her pediatrician, like, does this happen from a virus? Do you get autism symptoms from a virus? Like there are viruses in vaccines. Do you guys know about this? Like I was so pissed. And she just was like, honestly, God bless my daughter's pediatrician because she said, you need to do some more research. She just like, I couldn't. Yeah. And that just like blew my mind. Cause I trusted this woman. Like I'd known her since my daughter was like a few days old. And like, I was just like, Oh shit. Like I was, so she yeah. was saying she was kind of like affirming you without being specific. Yes. <gasps> okay. All right. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. And she was, because she was the, so I had my own doctor who had diagnosed POTS, but she didn't know anything about mast cell. And it was when I had a pediatrician visit with my, my daughter and I mentioned mast cell, my daughter's pediatrician got very concerned prescribed me Cromlund. She was like, this is a really serious, like this can be really serious. You need to be on something. You need to get this under control before you have like a massive issue. Um, and so then I ended up switching doctors to my daughter's pediatrician. Oh my God. Uh, Wait. So what are the, what can that lead to? I don't really know that much about mast cell activation. What is the, like, what are the risks? So it's when your immune system cells, your mast cells, you can kind of think of the mast cells as like the first line of defense in, in the immune system. They react really fast, really strong, and they release a ton of histamine. Mm. And so like, if you get a bug bite and it swells up, that's a histamine reaction. That's your mast cells reacting to whatever the toxin is from the bug bite. Okay. So if you get a bug bite and you don't get like that much of a reaction, your mast cells are reacting kind of normally, I guess. But if you're the kind of person who's like allergic to bug bites, you can start having allergic reactions to like all sorts of things. So, and you can start having anaphylactic reactions, um, to like foods that you've never been allergic to before. Um, and so, so it almost is like, it's, um, it's sort of like autoimmune and then it's like supercharged. Yes. And it's really risky with medications because you start having these like horrible reactions to medications, even if you've tolerated them before. Um, And your mast cells live for two months. So once they're triggered, um, it's like 
really hard to get like the horses back in the stable kind of thing. Um, and so there are medications, there are supplements it's, but you also have to like avoid the triggers for a while. Like there were, I just had a super limited diet for about a year and a half while trying to treat this mm. and like regenerate cells that were not so reactive basically. Wow. And so, so this was activated by your, the COVID that you had. Yes. Yeah. Wow. It was, it was COVID. And then it was because of the, so I didn't know anything about like what supplements to take during COVID. Cause I got it in March, 2020. Like there was none of that information was out there yet. Right. And the store shelves were like empty. I couldn't even go get orange juice, um, which I was craving and like can actually help with <laughs> immune uh, system. Yes. So it was really bad. And then because I had the heart issue, doctors were trying to, they're just troubleshooting by giving me different meds. And I, I was kind of refusing them, but one of my, my doctor, before I switched to the pediatrician prescribed me salt pills because with POTS, your blood pressure is really low. And that's why you basically pass out when you stand up. Um, and so I started taking the salt pills, uh, and within like a week, I had like a massive, like event where I'm pretty sure that's what gave me a minor stroke. (gasps) What? Yeah. I like, I ruptured a blood vessel in my toe spontaneously. Just, it just ruptured. And my whole toe was like purple and blue and they couldn't figure it out. And then a couple of days later I woke up and I couldn't move the right side of my body. And it felt like something had ruptured like in my abdomen. And also like, I felt in my brain where I felt like I was, just, I went to the hospital. I was like, I'm pretty sure I had a stroke. Like I'm just like rupturing stuff. And it's, <gasps> you guys gave me salt pills. I was furious. So you thought it was, so it was from the salt pills. You believe it was from the salt, but it was also like a mast cell reaction to me. Oh. I shouldn't have had, I shouldn't have been taking the salt pills, but it like sent my blood pressure through the roof plus the histamine of the mast cells. So histamine mast cells can overreact in any organ. And then they can just like go haywire in any organ. So your brain, your stomach, your liver, your kidneys, anything. So I, in the summer of 2020, I had like all these horrible things. Like I had kidney stones. I'd never had kidney stones before. Um, Eventually I did get an MRI on my brain and my spine. And I did have a couple, like I refused the gadolinium. So they couldn't do contrast to see in detail, like if I had ruptured any blood vessels, but there were some like basically white matter damage in my brain, exactly where I said it was And there. <sighs> yeah. They like, wouldn't really confirm it. Cause they couldn't from the diagnostic imaging, but they're like, yeah, that's not great. And I'm like, that's, oh I had a stroke. I knew it. <laughs> oh my God. Wow. Okay. So you're going through all of this. Your daughter is also having the mast cell activation. So what's next? What was your next, like, step or realization. So I asked the, I asked her pediatrician if I could give her the chromalin (laughs) that I had been prescribed. Now, what is that? What's chromalin? It's a mast cell stabilizer. It's like an antihistamine. Um, I actually don't recommend it because it kind of damaged my nasal passages and it can do it's it's Western medicine. So it can do more damage than good in the long term. but like 
if it can help to kind of get things under control. Um, ultimately, I started taking quercetin and I gave my daughter um, elderberry, which helped get her mast cell stuff under control. And I just like I cleaned up her diet. Like I found out that we all have gluten allergies and like all this other stuff. And I cut out all like chemicals and processed foods. And we had eaten pretty well, like before that, but we weren't like really stringent about it. And I just we like, weren't like really very crunchy. Yeah. Yeah. And I basically <laughs> became allergic to like all chemicals. Oh my God. From this oh my- whole, whole experience. Yeah. But when I asked my daughter's pediatrician, I I love this pediatrician. Um, I said, can I give my daughter the chromalin? And she said, well, it's not FDA approved for people under 18. And my husband's like, okay, okay. We won't give it to her. And I'm looking at her and I'm like, what does that mean? And she's like, it's not FDA approved. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm going to give it to her. That's amazing. That's so amazing. I gave her chromalin for like a few weeks. And what was shocking is she was like 20 months old at the time. It's a nasal spray and she would take it like willingly. Like she felt like it was helping her wow. and she take it. Um, and then after a few weeks, she stopped taking it and I, I couldn't like force her to, and I'm glad she did because I kept taking it. And then I ended up getting like nosebleeds because it like damaged the like, wow. Whoa. <laughs> Um, and that's when I started looking into more like natural things like quercetin is a, it's a flavonoid flavonoid. It's a compound in like onions and fruits. And it's like a relative of like curcumin and turmeric. So it's a lot more holistic. I also don't recommend that long-term. I took it for like a year though. Um, right. I was going to, so what I was going to say is that, so when COVID, I don't know at what point I forget like how far into it I was, you know, I was following lots of holistic, you know, viewpoints on all of it. And they were like, okay, so if you want to avoid COVID or if you start getting symptoms, you know, be taking or start taking vitamin C, quercetin and zinc. And I forget, I think those were like the main three. And so I was taking those, you know, off and on, I didn't take it like nonstop, but at a certain point I was like taking it every day just to avoid it. And I, as far as I know, I've never gotten it, but I'm, I'm not positive. Um, but I do think that it threw minerals off because I was on it long or, or so I've been told like my, my restless legs got really, really, really bad. And I was like, well, I have been like taking this, like pounding these supplements for like six months, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Vitamin C, depending on the form, the reason I got kidney stones was because I was taking an ascorbic acid form of vitamin C, Mm -hmm. um, which makes your kidneys develop more like oxalate stones. Um, when I switched to like a whole food supplement version of it, that was better zinc in an isolated form can deplete copper, which like a lot of people are depleted in. And actually there's evidence. So I have this genetic condition, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, that is a collagen deficiency and you need copper to produce collagen. So there's evidence oh that like intergenerational copper deficiency is possibly what has caused like my genetic 
Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which Whoa, is like, that's, my that's mind blowing. I mean, this is all like, I haven't really been talking about this on the podcast at all. I've been talking about it more on Substack, um, or just kind of alluding to it and alluding to it on Instagram. But in maybe February, I started coming across Instagram accounts, honestly, that were talking about this, this mineral balancing. And it was when I had been, you know, my whole family had just gotten COVID and I didn't get it. And I was like, well, it's because I've been pounding zinc and pounding, yeah. <laughs> pounding crescent. I mean, and they were too, but somehow I didn't get it. Um, and, but my restless legs were getting horrible, like really, really bad. And that was like one of my biggest, uh, like if I used to say, like, if a genie came to me and gave me three wishes, my first wish would not to not have restless legs anymore and to be an amazing sleeper. But like, it really was affecting my sleep. Um, and it's really maddening for anyone who's listening, who's had it or people who haven't had it can't even like imagine what, like, what, what do you mean restless legs? It's this really odd, I don't know how to describe it. It's like this deep discomfort in your mm. feet and limbs and like this almost like impulse. It's like too uncomfortable not to move them around. It, it almost feels like neurological and apparently it is neurological, but I don't even know. It feels like nerve. I don't know. I, I don't understand what it is, but it's terrible anyway. So I started learning. I was like, Oh my God, like I have been depleting my copper because of all the zinc that I'm on. And I started learning about how all of these things affect each other and like how, because most of us are not on, uh, we're not eating enough organ meats essentially. And yeah. I know all about this. Yeah. We're very deficient in a lot of the things that we need specifically vitamin A. And when I started doing research on vi what vitamin A deficiency in utero can cause, Basically, so my genetic thing is that I was born missing nine adult teeth. Oh, wow. <laughs> they just like weren't in my gums. They just didn't develop in utero. Wow. Um, and so vitamin A can affect all like things, mouth and teeth related. And also like around this time, I just got diagnosed with an adult tongue tie that I didn't even know that that was a thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but I also saw then that that can be caused by a vitamin A deficiency in the mother, which most of us, you know, most of us in our culture are going to be vitamin A deficient without like lots of awareness. Um, so that was fascinating. Like that, it, like how much it can affect intergenerationally is, is fascinating. Yeah. That stuff really blows my mind. That's where I first went with researching. So I basically spent like the rest of 2020, just like researching all this stuff. Um, our insurance had been through my work, but by then I was on short-term disability that turned into long-term disability. And so like, I, I would have had to pay a lot to keep our health insurance. And so we switched to my husband, which I was naively excited about because then that meant I could go to Stanford and I was like, Oh, the doctors at Stanford will know what they're doing. <laughs> oh <my> God, yeah, <laughs> They did not. <laughs> um, they had better offices and better testing equipment, but, um, man, it drove me nuts having to like drive into Palo Alto and just be like all this money. And you still don't know what you're doing. <laughs> that was really, um, frustrating for me, but they, you know, they have some of the like premier, like 
doctors and researchers in the country there, but the research arm doesn't really talk to the like practicing doctors. So I'd be reading these articles coming out from Stanford and then the doctors there didn't know anything about like what, what that was. Like I was trying to say, you know, obviously COVID is a, is a vascular condition. Like it's, it's affected me vascularly. Like I'm have, I had varicose veins all of a sudden out of nowhere. Like my blood was super thick. I couldn't, I had a doctor order like 60 blood draws and I had to go back like eight times because they just couldn't get blood out of my arm because it was so thick. Um, Yeah. And there's just like all this weird stuff like that. And I'm like, well, does that mean I have like blood clots? Because that would explain why I think I had this mini stroke. Um, And then whatever. Anyway, um, I lost my train of thought again. No, all good. All good. It, it's breaking up anyway. So it was perfect timing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so, okay. So let me think of a great question. <laughs> so, okay. So you're, you're doing research through 2020. You're trying to put the pieces together. You're going to see these doctors at Stanford. What were some of the things that you learned or had like epiphanies about that made you kind of put together some of these bigger pieces? So there was one thing I found, um, when I had like that mini stroke and I went to the ER, um, I had this doctor who was horrible to me. He like called a psych eval on me. And then this other guy came in and did the psych eval. And I, I got really irritated while he was doing it. And I said, I know what you're doing and I don't appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, and he's like, we can't figure out a reason why you can't walk and why you can't like move the right side of your body. And so this guy as who was like the head of the ER at the time or whatever was like, unless we have, unless we can see that you can walk or we find a reason you can't walk, we have to basically put in your chart that you're like a psycho. And I'm like, that's, fucked. Like I have a psych degree. I know what you're doing and I don't appreciate this. And so I got up and like hobbled around the room and I was super pissed about it, but I'd spent like eight hours in the ER that day. And there were these med students that kept coming in and talking to me about like all these theories I had about like the intergenerational, like deficiencies, the connections between like psychological illness and physical illness, because I was also having like this light and sound sensitivity. I was having like hallucinations and I was like, there's something going on in my brain, like chemically, physically. Um, and like, I wasn't feeling pain at the time and I wasn't on any, I mean, I I was feeling like I was feeling deep pain, but I could barely feel someone touching me. You know what I mean? Like it was, and I was like, something is really wrong with like my nerves. And these were nerve, um, neurological med students. So they were like super fascinated by like whatever was going on. And this was when around the time my daughter's pediatrician was like, you have severe mast cell disease and you need to get this treated. Like you need to get this under control or something really bad is going to happen to you. Um, and so basically after that, I decided that I had come up with this theory that like people with like severe chronic illness, there's some genetic thing where they also are like super geniuses and they have like psych stuff going on at the same time. And I like, didn't really know what this meant, but like, I have a whole family history of like very smart people and also addiction and 
also suicide. And like, you just look through history and you see, you know, all these people who are like super geniuses and like with massive, you know, psychological issues. Um, And so I basically, I thought I'd come up with this like brilliant theory. And so I started like Googling it and I found this doctor and psychologist who had actually come up with the theory and found the genetic basis for it. Um, And it's called, yeah, it's called RCCX theory. And it's basically that 20% of the population has a hypersensitive immune system. And the way the endocrine system functions is different. And that leads them to having both chronic and psychiatric illness. And somehow these people are tend to be highly intelligent. Whoa. And so I go into like all her research. She's got this, like, if you, you can Google it, RCCX theory. Um, I think the website taking notes, I'm taking notes. (laughs) I think the website is RCCX theory and chronic illness.com. And she's got like tons of pages and like diagrams on how this works. Basically there's like two ways humans produce cortisol. There's the baseline cortisol you wake up with. And that's like the energy you have through the day. And then there's cortisol that's produced in an emergency. If you like come across a lion or whatever. Um, and basically these hypersensitive folks don't produce due to a genetic lack of a certain enzyme, they don't produce as much baseline cortisol. So they're always producing more of the emergency cortisol, which ends up down the road. You just live your whole life super stressed. You're going to end up having chronic illness and it's not just stress. It's that your actual hormones are not being converted into the like steroid hormones that you need. I definitely think I have that. I don't know that I have the genius part, (laughs) (laughs) but I definitely, there's been something off with my stress response and hormones. My, my entire, well, ever since I was a teenager, like, and I just, I just know like it's, it's so clear. Well, and she postulates that it's 20% of the population. So that's a lot of people like one in five, like we are there. I definitely think you have it. (laughs) I found this theory and I was like, Oh my God, all my friends have this. My family has this, like every, like all these people I've been studying, like Joan of Arc, definitely. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Leonardo da Vinci. Like I just went like, this was, this was my, this kind of broke open my understanding of human health. Well, that, well, and what's fascinating is that that is your particular genius. Like I find you to be a genius in the connections to make and your ability to recall science. Like one of my curses is that I can read, like I can read science. I can like, I can read, I can have someone explain it to me and interpret it. And I, it like, it makes sense to me logically. Like I'm able to file it away logically and it helps me understand the human body and the world better but i cannot for the life of me recall like it's like my brain then deletes that and then i like have this understanding that i can't like quickly um cite to people yeah like my brain just doesn't my brain works in like metabolizing the science that i that I either read and understand or that someone explains to me and then like making it really basic, which I think is a skill. But then when someone wants me to like back it up, I'm like, Oh, I just can't. It's just too hard. (laughs) My brain just deleted it all. (laughs) 
I struggle with that too. And I feel like in my career before this, I had to know all the stats and figures mm. and funding numbers and like all that kind of stuff. So I feel like I got, I had to learn to get better at the details. Right. And then the, after COVID, the part of my brain that's damaged is the, the frontal lobe, which is like the part that organizes information and the part oh, that, shit. <laughs> yeah, it's the part that like cares about like being societally accepted. Okay. Then I need that to be a little bit more damaged. I think I'd be a lot happier. It was really hard though, because I, I ended up like yelling at all these doctors and I couldn't recall, like I'd realize <laughs> that I couldn't recall like really what it was. And my husband's like in all my appointments trying to help me. And he's like, just don't talk, help me help you. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. That's so fascinating. Okay. So you had this, you had this sort of epiphany when you found the RCCX theory and then yeah. So, well, that finding RCCX theory made basically my whole life make sense. And it made what I did after that was I, I, I knew I'd had all these issues, all the issues I had after COVID were not new. They just like exploded. Like I had allergies before, right. um, but I'd never had the crazy mast cell stuff. I'd, I'd been passing out randomly, like every couple of years since I was like 10, um, but I never knew the cause or whatever. So I sat down and made, and, and on the RCCX theory page, she has a, um, pathophysiological chart of how the like lack of cortisol turns into POTS and it turns into mast cell and like all the actual chemical and physical functions that like turn into all these things. And she even has on there, like, um, hallucinations and like schizophrenia symptoms and like all this kind of stuff. And so you can see chemically how the hormones and all the other chemicals in your body turn into these chronic illness things and the psychological things. Hmm. So I sat down and made basically a chronological history of my life and my health. um, And I compared it to that chart. And I had all of my health records from when I was a kid. And that's when I realized I had been vaccine injured. The first one I realized was when I was 10 and I got hep B, I realized the first time I passed out was two days after I got the second shot. Right. And that I was like, that was really hard for me because I totally believed in vaccines. I've traveled a lot all over the world. I've willingly gotten probably 60 vaccines in my life. And I had never connected them to like any of this illness. I thought they protected me from all of these, like from a worser fate. Right. Um, I thought I was just like genetically damaged and like, I needed these to, and that, that took me like, that took me two months of researching to even like properly talk about out loud and like, I kind of told my husband. So polar. I mean, it's like, it it is one of, or if not the most polarizing topic in our modern world right now. Yeah. Yeah. Full stop. Yeah. And I, fortunately, like I had had in 2019, I was like talking to a client and this is a person who's like a senior official at one of the biggest transportation agencies in the country. And I was kind of mouthing off about like vaccines definitely work and like, give me two of them. (laughs) Right. And she, she was like, I actually ended up in the hospital for six months after a flu shot. And I was like, what? I had never talked to anyone or like knew anyone who'd been vaccine injured before. And she got 
Guillain-Barre syndrome, like it attacked her nerves and it was really bad. Um, and I, I, I like listened to her story and was like, this is horrible. Like, did you sue them? And she's like, well, you actually can't sue them because they have immunity. And I was like, oh my God, like we can't build a bridge and have immunity, like as a company, like if you're a private company, you can't just have like litigious immunity. That doesn't make any sense. It's, it's so crazy. And like, as soon as you say that, they're like, oh my God, you're an anti-vaxxer. It's like, well, did you hear what I just said? They have immunity. (laughs) Yeah. And so she's like, I had, she's like, I had to settle with the government, like through the department of justice, basically. And like, I had a lawyer who like got me a settlement and got my, you know, bills cut my health insurance, um, what hospital bills covered. Um, and I was just like, that's great. I'm just like listening to her and I'm like, Whoa, this is crazy. And I'm starting to like kind of question it. And she says, but I still believe in vaccines. And I'm like, but should you? Right. And she's like, <laughs> we can't talk about this right now. We got to go prepare for this meeting. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I'm okay, just like so- having an existential crisis. Like, so for anyone who is listening, this is something that I couldn't cite off the top of my head, but there's, what is it? It's like the 1986 act or something, or the something in 1986, where the liability for vaccine injuries switched from the pharmaceutical companies who make them to the government. Yeah. So basically in 1986, they wanted to expand they developed all these vaccines and they were, um, they had already increased in the previous like couple decades. They they had increased the number of vaccines they were administering to kids and pharmaceutical companies were experiencing a lot of lawsuits because of the damage that people were experiencing from these vaccines. And so they went to Reagan, um, who is very pro-business and said, we're gonna go out of business if, we continue to have to be responsible for um, adverse events from vaccines. And so he, I don't remember the name of the act either, but he in 1986 put into law basically a liability shield that set up like a fund, like a federal fund so that anybody who can prove against the US Department of Justice now um, that you are vaccine injured can settle with the federal government and get, you know, money, get compensation from this fund. That was actually when I started, when I realized, oh my God, the first time I passed out was like two days after a vaccine, I started Googling it. And the first thing I found was actually somebody else's settlement, somebody else who got POTS from the hep B vaccine and settled with the government for it. They got compensated for it out of the vaccine injury program. And I was just like, my mind was blown. And then I looked up the the actual insert for the vaccine and it lists several of these like conditions that I deal with, um, including like neurological damage, which the actual root cause of my POTS is small fiber neuropathy. And I'm just like sitting there just like, how is this possible? And then I get mad because it's been too long and I can't sue the government. Well, see, so here's the thing, like, and I'll share one of my like formative experience or one of something that happened to someone in my family that gave me a similar perspective on vaccines many years ago. But for most people, if they have, like, there are many, many people who are quote unquote injured, who don't know 
that they are, who have not made the connection just like you. In fact, probably most people. And so they're not, they, they don't even know to, to put those two things together. They're not, you know, <laughs> they're not getting compensated because they don't even know that they should be. Right. When I, I like announced on Facebook and Instagram, like, cause I'd been having all these crazy health issues post COVID and people were like worried about me. This was when people still talk to me. Um, and so I, I said, like, I finally got a diagnosis. I have POTS and several friends of mine came forward and said they had POTS or their daughter had POTS. And then a few months later when I was like, Hey, my POTS was caused by the hep B vaccine crickets. Like none of them talk to me anymore. Right. And I said, okay. Oh, well, there she goes. Ah. She's gone. We can't listen to her. We can't trust her anymore. She must be crazy. She must be anti-Semitic. Yeah. Yeah. And and it must be awful. Like, especially as a parent, it was really hard for me as a parent to realize, like I had already given my daughter the hep B vaccine. I had given my daughter several of those vaccines. She doesn't get them anymore. and hasn't for two and a half years, but she had a bunch of them as a baby because I thought I had some weird genetic thing I didn't know about. And I technically I did, but, um, they weren't making it better. Right. So my brother, um, when he, I don't know whether, so my mom has only like you made this connection in retrospect, but when my brother was three or four and she doesn't remember which vaccine, cause she wasn't paying attention because she you know, trusted everything. And she, she was like, it's like homeopathy, right? You get a little bit of the, the bad and then your body's like, you know, is, you know, knows how to protect itself against it. If it gets more, blah, blah, blah. He had on the way home from, uh, his pediatrician appointment after getting a vaccine, he had a seizure mm. and immediately after like in the days, weeks, months, years, but like immediately it was a notable change developed life altering OCD. And my mom did not put those things together, but she did, um, call the pediatrician and she said, uh, you know, my son had had a seizure. Uh, is that no, right after is that, um, you know, is that from the vaccine? Is that like, should I take him to the hospital? And the doctor just said, Oh, uh, that happens sometimes. Oh my God. And like, you know, people have different perspectives on it. Right. But if, if you're going to look at it from like a, even the people who are like, well, maybe you can give some, but like some have adverse reactions. So those people shouldn't get them anymore because they're sensitive and their body can't handle it. You know, my brother should have never had a vaccine again. Mm-hmm. but he did, <laughs> he had them all, you know? Yeah. Um, so I don't remember how old I was when my mom started making those connections. Um, but I was probably in college and I was like, I was a raw vegan at the time. And I was super holistic. Then I think I, there were lots of problems with the way I was approaching health and the way I was approaching diets and all of that. And I've, you know, written about it extensively, but I, you know, after my, all my health problems that Western medicine just made worse, um, I kind of had a similar thing to you where I was like, this is not helping me. This is not getting to the root cause. And I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to heal myself, but I don't want to just mask my symptoms. Like I want to know what's going on and I don't want to make things worse. And so I had this super holistic perspective, 
So I've been skeptical of all of it ever since. And then my mom, you know, remembered that thing about my brother and same with my sister, my sister, um, it was when she was like 11 or 12, she got, maybe it was the hep B. actually it might've been, I don't remember, but my mom said she was like chronically ill and in bed for like four months after it. And wow. again, she didn't put it together. She totally didn't put it together. It's only in retrospect. She's like, oh my God, oh my God. I didn't even like know to, to connect those things. And, you know, like who knows? I don't know. I don't know, but I do know looking at my family that we are genetically sensitive, sensitive. Like we have the MTHFR gene. We can't detox yeah. things the way other people can. Um, and a lot of people have these mutations that can affect the way they process different things, specifically pharmaceuticals or, you know, environmental toxins. And yet when you're like, Hey, I reacted differently to this thing than you did. People are like, Oh, wow. Yeah. It's like, they, they just are like, well, that doesn't mean it's bad. And it's like, so are you saying it's okay to sacrifice me <laughs> for the greater good? Like, right. is that Right. Is that it, where we're kind at? of. Like, yeah. <laughs> kind of. That is what you're saying. the theory of vaccines sounds good until you realize that like typically a virus or bacteria is introduced to our body, either respiratorily or gastrointestinally. And we have ways and means of our immune system, viruses and bacteria in our nose and our sinuses and our lungs and in our stomach. Um, intravenously, alongside all these other chemical compounds that are incredibly harmful to human health, including like formaldehyde, aluminum, mercury, that all can easily cross the blood brain barrier and then lodge in the brain and then cause like myriad symptoms uh, alongside all your other organs. It's just like, once you actually learn the, the technical function of vaccines, it's like, oh, we went too far. That's, that's not, that's just not as that's not safe and effective. Like, how can you say that's safe and effective when all of the studies are like four days? Yes, that was her saying four days, but she cut out and she cut out a million more times in the minutes that followed. Um, I tried to save it. I tried to have her start over a million times. It was very frustrating. We will be recording again. And I have put, I'm, well, I haven't done it yet, but I'm going to take that audio and put it behind the paywall anyway, um, with some other stuff when we talk about Lyme disease and this and that, um, the episode is not over. However, I'm just going to share a little ad. Now I'm not going to be doing a lot of ads on this podcast, um, for obvious reasons, <laughs> but I do have a company that is a product that I actually use, um, from a crazy experience that I had over the summer. Um, and I want to share that with you right now, but before I do that, I'm going to ask that anyone who is enjoying this, who likes my work, who is excited for me to continue talking about stuff like this to please rate review and subscribe specifically rate and review um positively this podcast when i announced that i was doing this podcast called problematic on instagram i immediately got like many bad ratings like people hadn't even listened to it they were like i hate this bitch i'm gonna just rate it poorly because i hate that she's taking this detour so if you like my work and you like their direction that I'm going in, rating and reviewing the podcast would be really helpful. I know that you've only listened to 
this is the second episode. I know that, um, but it's super, super helpful. Um, and I'm very, very appreciative. Okay. So I'm going to do a whole podcast about what I'm about to launch into a little bit to talk about this product. But if you've been following me, you may know that I had a mold scare over the summer started in the spring and essentially I did what's called an ERMI test, ERMI test. It tests the dust in your house. I was freaked out because it looked like there was mold in the basement. I knew that there had been water damage in the basement. Um, I knew that there had been mold in my attic that I'd had remediated, but I was learning that I got it remediated incorrectly. Um, I went down the fear porn, the mold fear porn uh, rabbit hole, essentially. And I do believe that people are genetically predisposed to having mold sickness, kind of like what Adrian and I are talking about. We all have different weaknesses in different areas. Um, I also believe there's a lot of fear mongering about mold. Now, on my ERMI test, I saw that I had black mold and I panicked because I was following someone at the time who was going through like an $100,000 remediation and she decided to sell her house because they couldn't find the mold and they couldn't fix the mold and their daughter was sick and they kept getting sick. And I freaked out. I I just bought this house. I was already drowning in house projects. I already felt like I couldn't afford my house. I still feel that way. (laughs) And I was like, I can't, I I don't, I, and and I was, you know, I was struggling with my health at the time. I was having this crazy restless legs that had gotten so bad. I couldn't sleep. Um, it's gotten a lot better by the way, in many ways. And that's another story for another time. Um, but I was just so panicked about mold Um, and I was like afraid to, um, I was afraid to talk to someone who was a mold expert because I thought they were going to scare me even more. There are people out there that are like you, like that literally tell you that if you don't do this crazy expensive, like we're talking tens and tens and tens up to a hundred thousand plus dollar remediation projects that you're never going to be healthy and your house is going to be, you know, whatever. It was, it was terrifying. So anyway, somehow I found this guy who is a mold inspector. He came recommended that he was good, that he's a consultant. Um, and I talked to him and he was so calming. He was so, so, so calming. And he was like, look, every house has mold. You're never going to get it perfect. There are some people who are more sensitive than others you know, I sent him pictures. I sent him the situation. He's like, this is what I think you need to do. It's probably not as big of a deal as you think. Get, um, a mold inspector, have them do air sample tests and just see what the situation is. Get a basis because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know whether to call remediators first. I was calling remediators. They were coming out. They were giving me crazy high quotes. It was just, it was insanity. And he said, you want to get a third party test to get a baseline so they can test before and after any remediation that you do. And in the meanwhile, you can give your house a really good cleaning with some good products that work on the mold spores, not bleach. Apparently that's apparently a big myth. And I am not a mold expert, but what I do know is that I saved myself a lot of misery and stress by listening to this guy. I can also link to him. He was great. I forget exactly what his handle was, but I can look it up and put it in the show notes. 
And he got nothing from this either. He literally, I paid him for an hour consult and we did the consult and I left the consult just so, so relieved. Um, but he recommended I use a brand called Micro Balance Health Products. And so I went on their website. He said, okay, they have they have a laundry additive because when people have big mold problems, now thankfully my mold problem turned out to be not as bad as I thought. I still did a remediation. I still did a duct cleaning, um, but I did not go super hardcore on it. Um, and it turned out good. However, um, mold spores live in porous areas so if you have a big mold problem the spores will be in your clothes it'll be in your um you know your upholstery it'll be you know and some people are really sick from mold so they have to throw out all the stuff other people are like i'm doing okay and so they just do what they can do to make the air quality as good as they can oh hello molly um so Microbalance Health Products is the, oh, there she goes, right on cue, right when I'm so, oh my goodness. So she started barking right as I was about to talk about the products. So the brand is called Microbalance Health Products, and I specifically used three of their products. I used their laundry additive on my clothes, I used their mold spray on my entire house, and I used their candles, which was very cool to me. I kind of didn't believe that it could possibly work, but the can all of their products are independently tested and the candles have been shown to aerosol these citrus extracts that, um, that actually break down the cell membrane of funguses and mycotoxins. So it actually was shown to eliminate, if you had like a really, really high mycotoxin count, it eliminated it by 90% um, in three hours. And then if you had a lower mycotoxin count, it eliminated it completely within three hours. So it's pretty cool. I was burning those candles. Um, and I did this in the, you know, in the weeks that were leading up to my remediation, when I was like living in a house that had mold, I was able to take care of my environment and improve the air quality. And then I continued to use them after the remediation too, on the rest of my house. Um, just to improve the air quality. So I highly recommend the products. Again, it's Microbalance Health Products. If you use the code Caroline, you can get 10% off your order and I will link to that in the show notes. And yeah, no fear. Don't be stressed. Even if you've got mold, you're gonna survive this. That's what I wish someone said to me. Actually they did and his name was Andrew and he told me to get Microbalance Health Products. Okay, now, Back to my conversation with Adrian. Okay, so you have this kind of epiphany about vaccines, about how that's affected your health and was affecting your daughter's health. What's next? Like you lost all your friends? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, pretty much lost all my friends. I had a, I had like a good friend who's a therapist um, and she, oh, she actually specializes in eating disorders and has like struggled with that herself. And so as I'm like looking through all this research, I'm also like learning about Lyme disease. And I, I come across all this stuff. First of all, I see on a vaccine insert that one of the adverse of events, potential risks is anorexia. Mm -hmm. And then I see that a common symptom in Lyme disease is anorexia. And then I see that, um, mercury poisoning in the brain can cause anorexia. And I'm like, mm. holy shit, are, 
is this whole like epidemic of eating disorders, is this partially like a vaccine injury or just like an underlying like viral or bacterial or whatever infection that then is being capitalized on by like this horrific, like media onslaught of diet culture. Oh my God. And I make the mistake of trying to talk to my friend about this, my friend who is like a therapist and whom this would affect. And she like rushes to get off the phone and basically never talks to me again. She like stops interacting with my Instagram. She stops like looking at my stories. She like, um, then she announces like she got the vaccine and she got it really early. Um, and I was like, that's weird. Why would she get it early? She's not like in a risk group. And I was like, oh my God, she's pregnant. So a few months later, she announces she's pregnant. It was a whole thing. She ended up her, her, I still, she still doesn't speak to me. Um, and her child ended up having some like issues after he was born and like required emergency surgery. And she's probably never going to speak to me again because that's yeah. Oh, that's so, okay. So, you know, I, up until recently have written about disordered eating, which you know, I'm, I, I've never claimed to be any sort of expert on eating disorders because it's just, I'm not qualified to, and I didn't have, um, a formal eating disorder. So I've always just spoken to disordered eating, but, you know, I've shared science that then I quickly forget, (laughs) as I said, (laughs) um, you know, a lot of that is in the fuck a diet book. It's, you know, it's what I've written about. And, um, I, it's just so interesting because I find, you know, I think there are probably a lot of things going on there. You know, there really is this, like, there's this real, real, like cognitive dissonance thing with the vaccine thing that people are just like, so terrified to, and unable to kind of like, at least be open-minded to, to any sort of information that may shake this like very, very black and white worldview about it. And it's because people have been so demonized for it that I, I think people immediately are like, you're in that category and I don't want to be in that category. And so I'm shutting this down, but the eating disorder thing is interesting because I, I think there's a lot going on there. I'm sure. Um, it makes sense. I mean, if my brother was able to develop OCD from, a vaccine, it makes sense that other mental health, um, issues, uh, illnesses would be able to develop. Um, also really interesting. There's this, there's this, um, there was something called the Minnesota starvation experiment in the 1940s where, um, these men were, they volunteered, they were conscientious objectors to the war, but they volunteered to be studied on, to be, um, semi-starved, for a certain period of time to then help them research how to rehabilitate people who are starving, like the best way to refeed them. And these men were, they had their diets cut in half. They were eating like 3000 ish calories, which was normal, considered normal at the time. And they cut it down to 1600 calories, which if you don't know is a very normal diet amount these days. And by normal, I mean like not healthy, but like very normalized and they became emaciated. Um, they became obsessed with food, but the weirdest thing, and I've never understood why this is. And I don't know that anybody else 
does either, formally does, is that they started becoming very dysmorphic in the way that they saw their own bodies. So they were emaciated, wow. but they saw their bodies as, as being big, as being wow. like too big, um, which has fascinated me because I like, before I read that, I always assumed that the eating disorder came from the dysmorphia that came from the culture and the media, which I actually do think does happen. But this also shows that it can actually and be this like vicious cycle that stems from the restricting of food and nutrients in the first place and how much it affects our brains. Like it really, really affected their relationship with food. And when they were rehabilitated, first of all, they needed like exponentially more food than they were eating before to even gain weight back and to rehabilitate Mm -hmm. and their obsession with food and their hunger lasted like many, 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 many months. Um, and many of them became chefs. Like they, they like essentially like developed this like passion for food that never, that for some of them never went away. Um, but it does speak to kind of like the, this, like these brain changes that can affect the way, like how interconnected the physical is with the mental, with the physical again. And, but sorry, that was like a big tangent, but anyway, just thinking about someone who works with eating disorders and has struggled with eating disorders. So many people are unhealed. So many people are still struggling with them. And very, and because of that, very, very, very easily triggered and very, um, like, and I understand it because I used to be very triggered by lots of stuff that would kind of send me back into a very obsessive way of relating to food in my body. Now it's interesting to ask the question of, okay, so, so why was that? Was it really just the media? Was it really just these beliefs I had about myself? I do think that was a big piece, but was it other stuff? Was it other environmental stuff? Was it other pharmaceuticals or vaccines or whatever could affect the way your brain works and the way your, the way, I don't know. Yeah. The way, the way your brain works that this is all like so fascinating, but I was so triggered for a while until I just wasn't like, I just wasn't anymore. And I just stopped caring and therefore stopped being so like, I don't know what the word is like very, I don't know, trigger happy about like all, you know, diet culture, which I do believe is, is destructive. I really, really do. It just like, doesn't, I just don't saying, I don't care is the wrong thing to say, because I do care, but it doesn't affect me anymore. Yeah. And there's, there's gotta be underlying reasons why that kind of diet culture that like preys on all of us affects some people more than others. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's of course, trauma is a factor and what you grow up around in your own household is a factor, but like certainly like nutrition is a factor. And like, I think a lot of people are eating a lot of garbage food and we don't realize it. And then we're actually starving. And so maybe our, that's, you know, part of what you're saying where your brain becomes confused about what you actually look like, because you're not eating organ meats. You're not getting the right nutrients to like have the sufficient brain function. Right. Well, that's something so funny. I know we're like skipping a couple of steps to like, oh, like organ meats, minerals, organ meats. <laughs> 
but uh so many times when I've like posted like an asshole comment you've been like oh these people are so mineral deficient (laughs) so funny because it still tracks like I understand like one of the things I had to heal personally was orthorexia I was upset like petrified of toxins in a way where I would never have been able to relax ever ever and so doing what I'm now able to do with my diet after 10 years of healing and deliberately being like, I don't want to obsess about that. I couldn't have done this without becoming completely obsessed. And so that is a thing. Like I do, I do think that, you know, there's a level of, and of course it's easier for some people than others. When, when you like, couldn't eat anything but six foods because you know, you would have this mass, you were having this mass cell activation. Like many people would be like, Oh my God, that's disordered eating. And it's like, well, it, it, what, not necessarily like, I'm sure it could become disordered or can be disordered for some people, you know, past the point where it's necessary anymore. Um, but when you're having that kind of a health response, like you're just trying to, you know, you're just trying to survive and get by at that point. Um, yeah, I have like, a, I have a weird, I've always had kind of an interesting relationship to this, like diet culture, like eating disorder kind of because so like I've struggled with gastrointestinal issues like for a very long time and I so actually my first vaccine injury wasn't heavy at 10 it was as far as I know it was MMR when I was seven I had like I had strep throat really bad I didn't really recover from it and then I had the MMR vaccine like all within a two-week period and for the next few months, my health spiraled out of control. Like I lost a bunch of weight. I was like seven years old and I became super emaciated. Um, I couldn't eat. I get full really quickly. And I like, I loved food. You know, it wasn't like a, it wasn't a a psychological issue for me. Physical, Yeah. Very sick. Um, and my mom at the time was getting her master's degree in psychology. She was studying child psychology and she, so what she knew was this seems like an eating disorder. And she took me to the pediatrician to be evaluated for anorexia when I was like, yeah, when what I actually had was pancreatitis, which is a listed side effect of the MMR vaccine. And what happens with pancreatitis is so there's your stomach. And then the next step is your pancreas. Your stomach produces acid. Your pancreas produces the bases. But if your pancreas stops producing those enzymes, then the food just sits in your stomach. So you get full quickly. You don't want to eat. Um, the food basically can't progress on. You get nauseous all the time. Like I was throwing up, like I just couldn't, the food just couldn't get, you know, down the track. And then when it did, I didn't have the enzymes to properly absorb it. So I was like, super, I was malnourished, even if I was able to to eat the food because my body just couldn't absorb the nutrients properly. So that's like, that's one of the reasons I think that that first vaccine injury, like kind of led to the second one and led to like, like, well, because if you're malnourished and this is something that I, I, where I see all of this mineral talk and this nourishing talk is totally a million percent in line with the fuck it diet. Cause it is about nourishing. You want to be nourished. We want, yeah. we want the macronutrients. We want the micronutrients. We need it. Um, if you are malnourished, you're, you don't have the resiliency to your body is not able to 
like fight things off and detox properly and function properly. And of course it's going to be more susceptible to further injury. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, that's my, at seven is like my first, the, the pancreatitis I think underlies like so much of my other stuff, because if you aren't getting nutrients, you're just, you're totally fucked, you know? And so I was always like really skinny and people like in high school, like made fun of me and called me anorexic, even though I like wasn't. And I, you know, I would overeat like in front of people to like prove that I ate and like to the point of like making myself sick because I couldn't really like fit all that food in my stomach because it wasn't digesting fast enough. Like it, like I, I have like, I have probably had some weird disordered eating stuff because my actual physical issue was pathologized as right something right. else. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. Like, no, that and like, sense. I look in the mirror and I'm like, why am I so skinny and angular? Like, and I, I don't think I've had like dysmorphia issues, but like, I have not liked, you know, the way I've looked and I've just felt like there is something going on here that I cannot figure out. And mm-hmm. it's the last couple of years, like figuring it, figuring it out, a weight has been lifted. And I like, don't feel like I used to feel like I couldn't talk about anorexia or I couldn't talk about those things, even though like I was pathologized as anorexic at like, right. But you had no explanation for it. You had no, like, no, really like there's, this is what's going on. And now you're able, you know, you can say that more with more confidence. And I can say like, yeah, I have been malnourished, but like, this is why, you know, I like understand and Man, I right. wish organ meats when I was a kid. Oh my God. Okay. So there's so many things I still want to say, and I know that we won't get to all of them today, but let's see what we can cover really quickly. So I, we, I kind of took us on a tangent when you were talking about the one friend um, that you don't, you know, that you kind of lost and, mm-hmm. you know, like how, basically how polarizing this perspective or I don't even know if polarizing is the right word, how demonized really, uh, this perspective is. And it's so strange because we kind of like as society, not that long ago, we were kind of, I thought, I thought we were kind of all in agreement that like big pharma was corrupt. Like I thought we were, I thought that was like (laughs) that. Yeah. That's the weirdest thing to me that. (laughs) I have always like, I've always talked shit about the medical system. I don't know why people think I've changed. This is, I've literally always been like anti-authoritarian. Even when I worked for the government, I was like, these people are fucking things up, you know, like, and I'm on the inside and I'm going to change it. Right. Um, I, I just, it's so bizarre to me now that, and like the original like leftists were super anti-corporation, anti pharma, anti big, anything anti big ag. Like I'm talking about like things that Monsanto is doing and people are still just like, Nope, we're on board now. It's so weird. I can't even, I can't even wrap my head around it, but I, it's like the, I know that this, this is probably like, you know, I I probably will start to overuse this explanation, but I really do feel like it is this I believe that it is. And I think you're on board with this, a very intentional programming perspective. And it's fascinating because it's been so effective (laughs) and like, and there's been like a redefining of what 
of what words mean and of what like even the political sides and ideologies stand for. And I mean, it's been really, I, I think it's been slow, but it's also, it feels like it's happened really fast in the past, like, I don't know, five or 10 years, unless I just was younger and wasn't really paying attention. I don't know. No, I feel like the last 10 years, they like, they're kind of used to be like the two parties and you believed in one party or the other, but like, like my growing up, my dad was a Republican and my stepmom was a Democrat and like, and my stepmom like was a Democrat in San Francisco where she like knew Nancy Pelosi and Barbara Boxer and like went to dinners with like Hillary Clinton and stuff. And my dad was like, yeah, I'm voting for Bush. Right, (laughs) right, right. And that was like, that was fine. I mean, I always thought it was weird and they ended up getting divorced, but whatever. It was not like a, an issue in there. It wasn't like they were, they still got married, you know, like they, they still were married for a long time. And in the last 10 years, it feels like there's been a lot of splintering like amongst those. So there's like the total splintering of the Republican party with like the tea party and all that. And then like within the democratic party, there's been a, a huge splintering of like the Bernie crats and then the, like, I don't know, all these different factions and like everybody competing to be like left, the left, the most left or like the most politically correct or whatever. It just feels like anything that unites us, even within our party, right? Yeah. It like gets splintered and that totally feels intentional. Oh my God. So I'm just so exhausted, honestly. <laughs> I'm so sick of it. How much worse can it get? So wait, you posted something um not long ago. I think I reposted it. Um you said something about the Tea Party and I think Bernie Sanders um followers being more, you know, agreeing on more than than they want to admit or even would be willing to recognize. Yeah, I think what I said was that um, the it was the Tea Party and was it Black Lives Matter? I think it was Bernie. Maybe uh, it was no, Bernie. Occupy. It was Occupy. Occupy. It was Occupy. It was Occupy. Yes, um, pre-Bernie, because because the Tea Party and Occupy were happening around the same time, like uh... 2010, 2011. Um, And they basically were just like, we're being subjugated. That's what both of them were saying. And they just disagreed about whether it was the government or corporations, because one of them believes in the government and one of them, I don't know, believes in or doesn't care as much about corporations. And I don't think people realized at the time that like our government is a corporation and the corporations are like fully in bed with the government. Like there is there's so much regulatory capture in this country where like these agencies, all our federal agencies are basically run by through extension and through all these contracts, like by private companies, like all our military is operated by like Halliburton and, you know, like those things are not right. And that, not, yes, there's no division there. Right. And, and, and we can see, see, this is the thing, like with the whole, with everything that happened with COVID people we're like, well, you know, the vaccine is free. So like, why would they, you know, no one's making money from it. It's like, are you really that stupid? <laughs> yeah. It's not free. It costs us as taxpayers, like billions of dollars. They're using our tax money to pay these pharmaceutical companies that essentially are running the show. It's like, if you actually look at the people who are making these decisions, you would be horrified. And yet 
it's just not happening. People are just like, oh no, it's good. Why would anybody, why would anybody not have our best interest at heart? Yeah. This is what people don't realize is like how the federal government actually works. Like there are a lot of people who are just like regular people who go to work for the government who like really do just want to be like public servants. They don't rise very far. They don't get to the position of like the director or acting director or, you know, they're not appointed to the cabinet. Um, those positions are highly politicized. And so like, it's kind of funny. Fauci is one of the few who's been able to withstand different parties and like multiple presidencies for so long because he's so good at manipulating like both sides. And he's also very good at staying on the good side of all the pharmaceutical companies. So he like, he has pissed people off, but they just like forget. And he has just like kind of built this little empire. Whereas like most people, if you be super senior in a democratic administration, you're going to get fired by the Republican when the Republican wins and you need a job and you need a senior job because you're a senior person with a career and you're going to have to get that job in the private sector. So you can't piss off if you're the head of the CDC, you can't piss off the pharmaceutical companies who might be employing you in a few years. Oh my God. I never even realized that. That makes so much sense. I was yeah. like, they're all friends. They're all working for each other. But that actually makes even more sense. It's just about job security. It's, yes. about, it's about being friends. So you have job security when an, another administration is in power. Yeah. And that was like, that was something I learned working in transportation because I've worked with other consultants employed by the private sector who were like the former FTA director and the former like DOT director. Like I've worked with all those people and they really bring in a lot of work to the private sector because they can say like, I know how the federal government works and they literally used to run the agencies. Um, wow. And so I've been on like project teams with people like that. And so as soon as, I started looking into all this stuff. I was like, oh, I know exactly how this works. This is how it works in transportation. That's how it works in every other federal department, you know? So I forced myself to cut the episode here because we went on for a really long time and we started talking about Lyme disease and we started talking about all of our other chronic health stuff. And there was no, like there was no natural stopping point except for here. Um, which isn't really a natural stopping point, but, um, Adrian, if you follow, if you're on Instagram and you follow her at capitalism and glitter, you will find that she covers a breadth of topics and she goes really deep and some may call her really out there. Um, but she's fascinating. I think she's a fascinating mind and I think she really puts things together in a very, um, can I say fascinating again? <laughs> I don't think I can. Um, I think she's brilliant and I think she makes connections that other people haven't made. Um, other people have made them, but maybe in slightly different ways. But anyway, I'm going to be sharing more of this conversation that I had with her behind the paywall on my Substack. Um, I am also... I'm going to be hopefully talking to her again, having another conversation with her in the next few months, I hope even before then. Um, and yeah, I'm going to be bringing you more conversations with people who have had 
crazy experiences in the last couple years and want to talk about it. And they will be problematic like this. And, you know, it's tongue in cheek. I don't think it's problematic. The world thinks that it's problematic to talk about stuff like this, um, unfortunately. So that's where I'm going to end it today. A reminder to, um, to rate and review if you like the direction that this is going. There will be people who rate and review who don't like the direction this is going. So if you do, it's really, really helpful. Um, and that's it. Thank you for listening. Um, if you don't know about my Substack, you can subscribe for free. I send newsletters that way. Um, there is some paid content too. If you want to listen to my newsletters, that's paid. Um, there's stuff that I put behind the paywall. There's stories that I tell that I have behind the paywall. Um, it's often my more controversial stuff, but Hey, look, what could be more controversial and problematic than this? So, uh, yeah, it's, it's fun behind the paywall, but it's also fun to subscribe for free. So come on over and I will see you over there and I'm going to let Adrienne explain her handle now. Um, okay. So let everybody know where they can find you on the internet. Okay. You can find me on Instagram. I'm at capitalism and glitter, and there are periods on either side of the and. And will you tell us the, um, the origin of your, cause I didn't know this until you posted a little thing about yeah. this. I was trying to figure, I was like, does she, is she anti-capitalism? Is she pro-capitalism? Is she, she's critical of it all. Like I was, I was trying to figure out like where, where it came from. At a so it, point. it originated in like 2012 when I lived in a tiny apartment in Manhattan. Um, I started like a pop culture blog with some friends and, um, I didn't know what to name it. And I was watching this Amy Poehler cartoon where the main character, she's like a girl scout. Um, she says, I'm going to change the world. The only way I know how through capitalism and glitter. And I was like, <laughs> That's it. That's the name of my blog. <laughs> it's so good. Like, it's so funny. Um, and so at this point, like it did come out of a much more liberal space in my life. Um, I like, I still consider myself like I'm not conservative, but I'm not really, I just don't adhere to anything. And I criticize everything. And like, right. one of the things I, I say when people ask me like, why capitalism and glitter? And I'm like, well, they're both harmful to our health. Ha <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Right. 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 Just, it really is just a critique of everything. And I also, I don't want to just be like a, a crazy angry space on the internet. So the glitter is like, I also share my home design stuff. Or no, like it's actually perfect. My it's actually perfect. Yeah. It really is. It's actually perfect. There you have it. Bye, guys. Talk to you later.